Marijuana smoking, experts point out, can make a helpless addict of its victim within weeks, causing physical and moral ruin and death. The first legally sold marijuana here goes to an Iraqi war veteran. A new insurance study out this week looked at car crashes in several states that allow the use of recreational marijuana. Peter You're a doc. You've studied this. You've talked to the researchers. You're right. saying marijuana can kill cancer cells. Who taught you how to do this stuff? You, all right? I learned it by watching you. Marijuana is illegal under federal law. States have legalized recreation. No wonder you can't open your eyes. What do you expect doping yourself up with this wrong stuff? What do you know about pot? All right, you are listening to the Cannabis Hour, a bi-weekly radio show where we discuss all things cannabis. I'm your host, Jen Procacci, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in and joining us today. Today, I'm going to be joined by my friend, fellow cultivator and community member, Eileen Russell of Livingston Organics. She is a fabulous woman cultivator, and so she will be joining us in celebration of Women's History Month, which is the month of March. That conversation is going to be coming up in just a few short moments here. But before I get started with that, I have an announcement from the Emerald Cup. The Emerald Cup Awards Ceremony will be taking place Saturday, May 13th at the epic Caneway Pavilion in Richmond, California. This will be an invitation-only event, and a great way to get invited is to enter the Emerald Cup. Your Emerald Cup entry will include tickets to this event. So the Emerald Cup entry window closes on March 3rd. So that is tomorrow. Tomorrow will be the last day that you can enter the Emerald Cup. That's Friday, March 3rd. And there is intake in Cloverdale at Seed to Soul and in Ukiah at Heritage Mendocino. So that's for us folks up here in the northern part of the state. Now, if you are a licensed cannabis farm that qualifies for the Small Farms Initiative, or an equity operator, or a personal use cultivator, your second entry for any of those groups is discounted. So make sure you check out the details of that if you are a small farms initiative qualifier, an equity operator, or again, somebody entering the personal use category, you have a discount available for you on your second entry, and that is part of the ongoing small farms initiative that the Emerald Cup has been incorporating into their events over the past few years. If you would like more information on how to enter the Emerald Cup, visit theemeraldcup.com. That's theemeraldcup.com. This will be the 19th year of this event, which certainly has become a cornerstone of our community. So again, if you are interested, the deadline is tomorrow. There are categories for both personal use and licensed use. And the event this year is invitation only and invitations will be included in your entry package. So head on over to theemeraldcup.com if you're interested in that. 
There is also a cannabis and tourism speaker series and community conversation event happening this weekend on March 4th at the Mendocino County Museum right there in Willits. That is from 1 to 3 p.m. and that is free as part of the first Saturday free admission day at the museum. The Mendocino County Museum has invited staff from the Counterculture Museum and Archives to share their experience documenting and collecting the history of cannabis and counterculture. They invite the community to join them for three thought-provoking forums about preserving the evolving history of cannabis in Mendocino County, and this is the second lecture of that series. It will include industry leaders, tourism experts, and community members who will discuss the role of cannabis tourism in Mendocino County. And those guest panelists for this weekend's event include Marty Klein, a local small farmer, John Haschek, third district supervisor, we have Gary Martin from Willett Center for the Arts, Nikki Lestretto, who is a journalist and industry leader, Tracy Pellar from the Mendocino Producers Guild, Jamie Peters Connolly from Visit Mendocino, and Jude Tillman, activist and educator. And again, that is this Saturday, March 4th, from 1 to 3 p.m. at the Mendocino County Museum right over there in Willits. We also have coming up the Mendocino Coast Health and Wellness Symposium and Marketplace. That will be March 25th and March 26th, held in Fort Bragg at Dragonfly Wellness, supporting health and wellness in Mendocino County. There will be several speakers there, Dr. Richard L. Miller, a clinical psychologist and author of Psychedelic Medicine, The Healing Powers of LSD, MDMA, Psilocybin, and Ayahuasca. Annie Waters, 40-year herbalist, cannabis, and her herbal allies. Jude Tillman, the CEO of Dragonfly Wellness, Cannabis is Medicine, Changing the Narrative. Karen Uphoff, Power of Tonic Teas and Phytofood-Rich Lifestyle. And Terry DeSelke, Healing with Seaweed. There will also be a marketplace with 20 cannabis and non-cannabis vendors. So to get more information on that, you can contact Dragonfly Wellness Center or check out MendoCannabis.com for more information on that as well. There is also a mixer coming up for the Mendocino Cannabis Alliance. That is March 15th from 5 to 8 p.m., that will be held at the Long Valley Garden Club 375 Harwood Road in Laytonville. Uh, there will be committee updates, a president's keynote speech. So if you are considering joining MCA, you can use this opportunity to come down and learn more about the Mendocino Cannabis Alliance. All members of MCA are welcome, as well as those that are considering joining. So if you want more information on that event, you can also visit mendocannabis.com. 
All right. Well, you are listening to the Cannabis Hour. I'm your host, Jen Procacci. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm here with Eileen Russell. She is the owner of Livingston Organics. She is also a freelance journalist with KMUD and KZYX, and also a mom of two. Eileen is also my wonderful community member here in Covalo. Eileen, you want to say hi? Hi. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me on the show today, Jen. This is awesome. Absolutely. Thank you so much for taking the time to join. It's actually been almost four years exactly to when you were on the Cannabis Hour with me last on March 7th in 2019. Amazing. It's crazy how much everything has shifted since that time, you know, if you think about it. Yes, so much has changed. So we're going to be talking about that today. Eileen is here to offer her perspective as a sort of continuation of our conversation two weeks ago when we were discussing the challenges that licensed cultivators are facing with the county licensing mess that is going on and the looming deadline for state licenses and just what has become of our cannabis program and the cannabis economy in general. Eileen is going to offer her firsthand account as a small farmer and just how much her life has changed and her business has changed in the past four years. So Eileen, do you want to start by just telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and your personal relationship to cannabis, your background in cannabis farming? Yeah, so um, I went to Humboldt State right out of high school, and that's when I first got introduced to just the Northern California cannabis world, and I always loved smoking and just the community around it. I always say my relationship to cannabis had a lot to do with music and art and culture and just living in this, you know, getting to go left on the path in the woods and saying like, I want this life. And so I did that from a really young age. I was, I, I had my first grow room when I was 20 years old on Hookton Road in Lolita. Um, and I just always had plants. I've always had plants since then always been starting a garden, you know, working with the plant. And it was, it's, I look at it, that's part of how I grew up, how I, you know, became an adult and figured out how to support myself in the community of people that I, you know, found myself surrounded with was all the people who were also involved in growing this plant. And I loved it. I still love it. um, But it is really, really different today. And it's, it is really disappointing because I did go all in with the Mendocino County um, permit program. Like when I moved here, I was excited for the opportunity to get a farm and try to develop it. And um, I was starting a family at that exact same time. And I saw it as a way that I wouldn't have to worry about raids happening or ever having my kids threatened to be taken away or anybody saying that, you know, I wasn't taking care of my kids in the proper way because I was living this alternative lifestyle and growing plants to support myself. So, you know, I, I went all in and I also really looked forward to kind of the guidance and the leadership of 
having some sort of a regulated program. I remember they were coming out with leaflets about how to take care of your roads and how to be better stewards of the land. And cannabis growers were getting involved in that conversation. Like we actually got to be part of it. And now there are grants available. I mean, Fish and Game, if I can hold on to my part, permit and my property I could possibly have them help us build this like beautiful bridge over the creek that's like the entrance to our property but at the same time the market is crashing so bad that it's really hard to just hang on and all the reasons that I got into cannabis and the things that were attractive about it to me were like having freedom and not being this completely stressed out individual And now with so many layers of permitting and requirements and costs and not a market to really sell into, I'm questioning all of those things if this is really like a thing that I want to continue to sustain myself, sustain myself as I'm in my middle age and looking as to how I'm going to get older and take care of my family. Am I going to be able to keep doing this? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Life has changed a lot in the past four years. That is definitely true. And I was remembering when you were speaking that the reason that I first had you on four years ago was part of um, Women's History Month, which actually is the month of March. So welcome back. Thank you. That is really cool. That did just happen organically and naturally, but it is. Yes. We knew it was going on in the back of our minds. Maybe it just wasn't in the forefront of our consciousness, but I had you on because you're an awesome woman grower in our community and you know you're still carrying that torch it seems so you are still holding on to your license right now and you're hoping to be able to continue to be licensed is that correct yeah i mean absolutely i where my mind has shifted now i read this book i can't remember the name of it but it was like all about successful organic family farms how do people sustain on a small farm and a lot of it, what, what it said, this woman, um, they had a small organic farm and they went into chicken production and they got really big and successful and worked really hard and then completely burned out. And she was like, I want to take a year off. And her and her husband went and traveled for a year and she interviewed all these successful farms and found their secrets. Like, how were they able to actually sustain? Because it is really hard. You have all these ideas, but then there's the business side of it. And then there's the organization. And a lot of what she found was that, A, you have to be really organized with your business and financial stuff. But also so many of the farms, one person has a regular job with benefits. Like it's almost impossible to just sustain yourself and take care of your health and be a farmer because it's so unpredictable. So I've really taken that to heart and I'm we are as a family just kind of looking towards other things to sustain us right now. So that, you know, looking deeply. So I'm, I had my mind shift has, my mindset has shifted to where I'm like, okay, maybe cannabis farming is like one part of our life. And right now it's a really expensive hobby. It's like owning horses. It's like, my friend who owned horses used to be like, oh, you want to go visit my welfare recipients? Because they just live in this field and I pay a lot of money for them to eat every week and get their hooves cleaned. And if they ever go to the vet, it's extremely expensive. They're my welfare recipients. So having a cannabis farm to me feels like that. It's like 
I have the opportunity to somehow hold on to this thing and pay for it. And maybe eventually it can be this thing that some years makes us money, but it does not feel like this, like really profitable endeavor. And I know for every farmer, it's different. You know, some people had that five years ago where they absolutely couldn't go on and they weren't making any money. And for us personally, it's been the last two years that have just been the hardest, like just the numbers right. aren't up anymore. Right. And I think a lot of, you know, cannabis farmers in our community are right there with you. Um, have you had to take other jobs in order to sustain yourself and your family during these hard times? Totally. I mean, I started working at the restaurant, the Covalo Cave in town, um, not just to earn money, but just to get out of my house and relieve myself of some of the stress of worrying about it. It was like, when you aren't earning an income to go enjoy things that you like to do anymore, you're kind of trapped in this space where you're just like worrying about things. So I really enjoyed going and doing that. And it's like listening to music and chatting with my community. And also as all of this is happening and our life is shifting, I'm looking at Round Valley and like, do I want to live here? Is this my place with or without cannabis? Because cannabis was such a huge part of why we moved here. We found an affordable South facing piece of land that we could possibly get a cannabis permit for with a beautiful house on it. And that was how we planned to sustain ourselves. But if we can't, you know, there's very limited jobs out here. It's not like we can just pick up and, you know, get any other kind of work. I have also turned to journalism again and um, also not a high paying position, but I love it. And I do feel like this hard shift that a lot of us are experiencing it. That's when you kind of turn to your other creative ways and you get pushed in other directions and other talents because, you know, maybe it's just not all, I I mean, cannabis is, it's so easy to get so focused and so narrow-minded and stuck down this rabbit. I mean, I did it for 20 years, trying to grow a better crop every single year with the best genetics possible and have it all come out flawless and sell it as fast as possible, you know, and letting go of that stress and being like, I still grow beautiful plants and a beautiful product, but the market has changed. I, I, I can't just get a little bit better each year, produce a little bit more anymore. That just didn't make a difference. Mm-hmm. I don't right. know, have you felt that in your process, like finally letting go that it's not like next year will be the best year. Like yes, next might, year. <laughs> there might just be problems with the whole bubble economy of California right now and what our leadership in our own county has created for us to the recent news about the county asking for what 6.5 million in our equity grant funding Mm-hmm. to pay for the licenses that they've never actually issued. Right. It's, it's, yes. That is infuriating to me. It is. Yes, it is. Very, there is so much going on with the county program that is just unbelievable. 
And, you know, Eileen, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the air is not just because you're such a strong woman cultivator in our community, but because your voice, I feel, is representative of the situation of a lot of folks that went all in on cannabis. Um, when you mentioned, you know, you're sort of reevaluating if Round Valley is your place, just to give context to our listeners, you know, Eileen and her family live outside of Covalo, you know, even further into the hills. So, you know, they're the remotest of the remote in a way when it comes to Mendocino. And, you know, the reality is, is that there are so many people living in this way far out in the hills that had a way to sustain themselves that felt pretty good, like it could really provide a living for your family. And if the licensing program continues to fail and the cannabis economy further degrades, you raise a really good question of what do these folks do for work? And I think that you yourself have been really resourceful in the fact that you have found a job in Covalo, hard to find in the first place, and then even a second set of professional skills that you were able to employ as a journalist. I think that's really impressive. And I think it represents the minority of what most people will be able to do for themselves that live sort of really outside of town in these really rural areas. And just do you have any further thoughts on that? Or could you expand about how you're... I always think rural Americans matter. Like we don't live the same as everybody else, but I think we have the same rights and we pay our property taxes every year. So to me, it's really hard that we owe back taxes on products that we didn't even sell. And the only reason we didn't pay those back taxes. So just to give people context, if you are behind in your county tax minimum, you are not eligible for a grant, which is a financial barrier to get money that is meant for people who don't have access to capital funds in the first place. Like me as a woman farmer, I worked my butt off to get what I have. My husband Mm -hmm. grew up in the Caribbean on an island. He does not have access to capital. We are exactly the people that just, you know, this state cannabis fund was like, hey, we want to help these kind of people and we can't get it because we owe money. It's like, those are the people that owe money. They're the people that don't have access to capital. And the way the county system was set up to collect those taxes is the most backwards, annoying, (laughs) like the paper forms that they send you all the time, like nothing about it is automated. And for all the things that we had to pay for, for the permit, it was the least demanding. Like the water board will like start to give you a misdemeanor within like 30 days if you don't pay that fine. If you don't pay your state permit every year, you get like, you you lose your permit within like 60 days or something. And this Mendocino tax forms just like come at random all the time and are meant to pay for product that you either did or didn't sell. You have to pay it either way. So the only reason that we even got behind on it was because in the huge stack of bills that we had to pay to maintain these permits, it was like the least, you know, pertinent at that time. And I always thought, oh, well, we'll get ahead and we'll just pay that. But now we're at a point where 
pounds are just selling for like almost nothing if you can even get a distribution deal. And then when you mm -hmm. can't pay to trim your product in a timely manner or store it properly, or even have the employees to help you manage all of that, it's not like you have all these pounds of perfect pot ready for these distributors the way that they want it. Because right. you can't pay that expense anymore because you just end up owing people money for a product that you may or may not sell. So it's extremely frustrating to me that the county won't release equity grant funds and they've held my permit up. I've been put on a deprioritization list, which I'm like, fine, deprioritize me. Like, does that mean I'm not getting an inspection? Great. <laughs> like, right. I do, I believe that I have a place in the California cannabis marketplace. I believe I've earned it. I worked really hard to, we did all our own consultant work. We wrote our LSAs. We did our agreements. We followed the laws. We dug a well. We have 50,000 gallons of water storage. We upgraded our solar system so that we would be permittable. Mm -hmm. You know, so to do all of that work and then kind of have these like penalizing policies and just the fact that they haven't even issued any permits. And then there's this whole sequel business that supposedly we're going to lose our annual in six months anyway. It's really hard. Right. So I'm understanding the situation correctly here. When I say that you are eligible for an equity grant, you, I think you had told me you were involved in a raid at one point. So that would definitely make you be eligible for the money, but the county will not disperse that money to you because you owe cannabis back taxes, completely unrelated to the uh, state funded grant program. Exactly. And it's like $4,500 in penalties on the taxes. The county will actually pay themselves the back taxes, but they require the farmer to pay the penalties first. Wow. Which, great. You know, I so you have to tell me that I'm in trouble when I spent so much. We as a family spent so much money to become compliant. We aren't re reliant on a generator because we got a solar system. We put in water storage. And part for me, the hardest part of like not really being able to sustain ourselves anymore with cannabis is not being able to be the stewards of the land in the way that we want to be. Like if you can't make it to the dump, you know, if you can't maintain your equipment, it's that, those, so those are the questions where I'm like, can we make it in Round Valley? Can we live rurally? Are we going to be able to replace our tires and brakes? Right, absolutely. Cannabis used to give the boost that made it possible to live nine miles out of dirt road. Absolutely. That is a reality that is very, very true. And I think that's a question that's on a lot of folks' minds right now who are in the cannabis community who are licensed and are questioning if they can afford to continue. Were there any moments for you that were kind of turning points where you realized that, you know, like, did you realize you needed to take a second job, for example? Uh, so in, um, Two years ago in 2020, when that fire happened and everything got smoked out, we really haven't financially recovered from that time. 
And we were still used to making a certain amount of money each year. So when I remember the sky turned black and I took my family and my crew, the people that were working with us and all our dogs and chickens. And we like went and stayed in hotels for a little while and we would sneak back in and take care of the plants. But that same summer, I think the light, so I, we were always really dependent on the light depth sale. It always happened immediately and it paid for all the expenses of the fall harvest and usually caught up on a few behind bills. In 2020 and 2021, that just didn't happen the same way that it used to. It like took six months to get paid and usually it would end up being half the amount for something that the agreement was made upon with the distributors. So in those six months, behind bills are like starting to snowball and stuff. So I think in 2021, I was friends with um, Lindsay, who's the school bus driver. And she was saying they really need a school bus driver. And I was like, oh, I'll take that job. It'll be a good job with benefits. And the farm will still be making money, but I'll have an income every month. And I did that for a couple months. And I don't love working at schools because it is such an institution that that was, I, I, spontaneously and impulsively jumped on that job, but it wasn't the right fit for me, which I'm totally okay with. Um, but another main part of it was that the farm was not just going to continue to roll in some money. And I was looking at it like I might actually be a bus driver as my own only income. And this, you know, can, do I want this reality? And it didn't really work with um, trying to get my own kids to school and stuff. But that was, my first like that was 2021 being like we're not making it anymore we're not going to be able to pay our mortgage or mm -hmm. pay these workers or so right and that was you know a year and a half ago so that you know that situation has continued to be like um evolve and change what were the first two or three years of legalization like for you after you got your license was that a more of a hopeful time it was a hopeful time. We were still struggling. Um, so our farm here in Round Valley is the second farm that I have built from scratch. And when I had my place in Honeydew, it was a raw piece of land with nothing on it. And I turned it into a farm that produced income and provided jobs to a couple of people and gave me the lifestyle that I wanted. But it took about five years to get to that point because you know, most of the time you're just like making some money and building something, making some money and putting some other part of the system into place. So it was really disappointing to put all this work in for five years here. And right when it should kind of start to level out and you're not putting in water storage or digging a well or doing all those things, it all kind of imploded on itself. For me personally, I know some people might be hanging on a little bit better. Maybe they're marketing or branding or there's you know products are starting to gain traction but for me it's just been like I don't well, know it feels yeah. like the collapse of both the black and white market to me mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right it seems like there's a, a lot of uncertainty in your world in terms of whether you'll be able to continue and well I want the grant I want that CDFW grant to build a right. bridge and put a new driveway under my property. That's so if, that would be an amazing project, product project to work on and get to say like, 
I worked with engineers. We did a fish study on our creek. We learned all this stuff. We decided this was the best way to do. We worked with, you know, environmental people and geologists and came to this. I want to hang on for some of those things. Yes, absolutely. So if you could get that CDFW grant and the equity grant, it sounds like those would be really good sort of linchpins that would help you hold on during this uncertain time. Totally. And me and my husband would pretty much be working other jobs to like cover our mortgage every month. Mm -hmm. And regardless of whether cannabis makes us, I hope that it does come back up. I mean, I feel like this is such an extinction event that in three years, anybody who's hanging on might actually be able to sell their product because who's going to be left? Yeah. At some point, people are going to be like, oh, where's all the Mendo homegrown at? I know right. that. And it's going to be like, yeah, you forced us into the ground, shovel by shovel. And now you're like, can you breathe? Is anybody down there? Oh, my God. It's so true. So you came down here to Mendo to buy your house and start your family from Humboldt County due to more affordable land prices. Is that what I'm hearing? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. And was it hard for you to sort of get your feet on the ground in a new community? What was that like for you? It was. I really loved, I lived in the Matole Valley in Honeydew, which is actually really similar to Round Valley. It's about an hour west of the 101, whereas we're in Round Valley, we're an hour east of the 101. And it's this remote, beautiful valley where people live really rurally. And um, the biggest difference between the Matol and Round Valley is that a lot of almost all of the native people who lived out in the Matol have been forced into relocation in the Round Valley. So oh, wow. in Humboldt, you're living in a place absence, absent of native people. And then when I got here to Round Valley, I was like, oh, this makes sense. Now I know where everybody's at. Um I think it's a really amazing part of living here is getting to live in an indigenous community where people have like 20 years of 20,000 years of ancestral knowledge that they're able to apply to the place that they live. Mm -hmm. And um, in reporting, I really like to learn more about the place that I live. I'm really interested in the way the tribe in Mendocino County intersect. I think that's insanely interesting the way a sovereign nation lives within our boundaries and we're checkerboarded amongst each other um but it is really hard to live so far out and not really have the resources to leave as much as I used to you know that that is, is tough have you felt that is that a change for you at all or are oh. you still getting out a lot yeah, I mean, I, I try my best to get out a lot. But similarly to you, it is economically challenging to even spend so much money on gas. These days, you know, I drive a truck, of course, because I live up in the hills. So every time I go back and forth, even just to, you know, Willits or Ukiah, it adds up. And when the money's not coming in, it's, it's hard to justify that expense. But similar to what you said, you know, you also can't just stay home all the time and, and worry and fret about how you're going to sell your next pounds. So <laughs> I try yeah. to make it happen anyway. Um, but it is it is really challenging. So I totally agree with you. It's you don't want to feel stuck out in the hills because you don't have the money to get anywhere else. I mean, I don't think that's what any of us were thinking was going to be happening to us. 
And how is your farm doing with um, your permit? Your Do you have your state annual or what? how are you guys feeling? Well, we, we still have a county embossed receipt over here. So we are hoping for the best and we absolutely want to continue to have our, our farm and our business. But we are feeling feeling stressed like everyone else is about the future. We're trying to be as hopeful as possible, but it is really hard. And it's hard to watch so many people leave our community too. That has been really tough for me. And um, I feel like there's been so much media recently. Was it you who posted the calmatters.org or maybe it was on KMUD? There, an article came out recently that was all about um, the decline in cannabis as an industry and the way it's affecting communities like ours in Garberville. Oh, wow. And there's this whole workforce of people that, I mean, even when I put on my resume, I've been in cannabis for 20 years. I'm pretty much an expert. I've built two farms. I, you know, I don't want to leave that off. I did all the permit stuff pretty much myself that has to count for something as like project management and, you know, oversaw employees, payroll, but it's so out of left field for the other stuff on my resume. That's like media related. It's tough to imagine moving forward into another industry for myself as well and how those skills would translate. So I definitely, I feel like a highly skilled individual, but it's in a really specific kind of place. So it's hard to imagine how I would take that somewhere else. I think I know what you mean. Yeah, but this art, this um, article really outlined a lot of people and even people that worked in like the food industry in Garberville mm-hmm. that had a standard. Oh, wow. And they live rurally. They're used to that lifestyle. They're used to living like kind of up a dirt road and having this job and this economy that supported them and their friends and community. Mm-hmm. You know, even the Covalo Cave, cave is barely hanging on. There's no right. customers to come in and spend money. And that's one another thing I wanted to ask you too, is what kind of changes have you seen in Round Valley and out in Holes Valley where you live in terms of population and sort of in terms of, um, you know, attendance at your business that you work out at the Coppolo Cave and stuff like that. So you'd say it's declined. Oh, it's declined. So one thing that's really interesting is when I moved to Honeydew in 2009, it experienced this huge boom, just like Covalo did when I moved here. Um, there were just trucks with trailers of greenhouses all spring long. And all fall, you saw the buyers coming in. It was just like this massive industry. That Parade. Was <laughs> yes. <moving laughs> this fury of business and stuff. The, um, the Edders had their own store out there. It was like this remote warehouse where you could go buy turkey bags and scissors and rubbing alcohol by the gallon. And their business was booming. I mean, mm-hmm. they were selling just huge boxes of turkey bags all day long, a hundred, hundred dollars per box. And then when I came to Covalo, it was kind of the same. You just saw greenhouses, M&M's bo- business was booming. There was so much happening. And Honeydew is like this quiet place. One of my good friends who still lives out there said, you can drive all the way from the 101 and not even pass another car anymore. Like, and there were a lot of people that owned and maintained many farms out there and they're down to like their last one that they're hanging on to. Mm -hmm. And 
Covalo is experiencing that same thing. It's like there was that boom and now there's the bust. And I hear, you know, people come into the cave and they'll be like, oh, I'm out of here in a month. And they're talking about moving and I think we are thinking about it too. Soko, my husband, just took a tree apprentice climbing job in Windsor. So he's working down in the Sienna Rosa area during the week. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're either going to, he, maybe he'll just do that and we hold on to the homestead or maybe we'll start spending more time down there because there's opportunities. Sometimes in life, you follow the opportunities. That's how we came to Round Valley in the first place. But it it's absolutely tragic. Do Did I want to build this whole business just to leave with nothing you know I it's also you know I believe California has made it restrictive just to even open a dispensary or something if it's legalized why can't they sell it in coffee shops I thought we were going to be the next Amsterdam would just be full of dispensaries and coffee shops and all the places that you went to before would just be like selling jars of buds and stuff and right. California have some of the lowest amount of cannabis retail outlets in relation to our population of any states that have recreational cannabis. And I think that is a huge part of the problem right there. And I feel like they the model is like distributors who really just want to fill this void it's almost like we're trying to produce craft wine and they're trying to fill jugs of Carlo Rossi and it's a big disconnect because we're like we don't want to mass produce just to get paid bottom dollar I don't know it's and there were cool programs but as farmers we never got to the point where we could have even utilized them like the micro business license yeah the other thing for me personally is I don't want to do every single aspect of the business I don't want to plant grow trim permit write grants and water and fix water system I I wanted to like evolve out of that and manage and yeah and I wanted to ask you too is it sad that you can't provide as many jobs as you used to be able to I've heard you mention having a crew at several points. Yeah, I we had um, people come out and help with the light depth. And like always, we had big dinners. We barbecue, we cook good food. We, it's kind of the main time when we host people on our homestead. Mm-hmm. They come out and camp for a couple weeks and we trim the harvest. And it was always an abundant time. And you share the food that you like to cook. And it's fun you sit out we have such an epically beautiful property with like amazing stars at night and I just remember sitting with people and being like this might be the last time it ever happens like this because we can't we sold a house in Humboldt that we owned last year to pay our workers that's how our workers got paid and we don't have another house to sell besides the one that we live to pay people so we can't contract people because I would never just promise to pay people if the price is below what it costs to produce I don't have anywhere else to get that money which is why I should be an equity grant recipient 
because at least they, you know, that state money should be available to us to hang on to these businesses that we built while we fight against the Goliaths that have like multi-acre greenhouses and are able to just bleed money for however many years. Absolutely. I can't even, you know, commiserate with you enough that the grant program is is absolutely vital to our small operators right now. It is the thing that will allow people to hold on and it will make or break it for so many people. There should be a $10,000 grant that you can apply for within 10 minutes and receive. Like you should be like my family who's on emergency TV funding yeah, now and has, you know, our gas water heater broke last week. We should just be able to, I mean, our taxes paid into the system that gives the grant money back. It's not like we're asking for somebody else's money. We're asking for some of our own money back that we paid in taxes. No, I mean, my main thing is just that having a financial barrier to receiving grant funding that's available to people who typically don't have access to capital funding is insane to me. And I think more people should know that there's families like me who are doing everything we can just to like keep ourselves going. I mean, just car repairs and um, I mean, and it's all of the Emerald Triangle, our lifestyle has changed. I kept saying when I was located, it's like somebody took a giant bath, sucked all the money out of Round Valley. Nobody's in buying pizzas and a bottle of wine to share because they don't have the money to. And part of the reason why I wanted to work there was because I just wanted to leave my house and be in a pleasant environment for a little bit. And I really couldn't afford to take my family down and buy pizza and hang out much. And that's just a simple, small pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that's really important when you live so remotely is being able to go in and connect with the community. And as so many members of our community have left this industry and moved away and people just, you know, don't have the money to gather in the ways that they used to. And with the pandemic as well, that is also totally a factor in the way that the fabric of our communities out here um, has changed. You know, I know in Copolo, uh, when the cannabis economy was booming, people had not only money to share, but also they had time to volunteer at the local radio station and, and for the friends of the library and and to come to the farmer's market and set up a stand or to shop there. And now, you know, money and time are both in really short supply for the people that have remained in our communities. The one thing that I would say on that is that now is the time to volunteer and show up in your community and find ways to connect that don't cost money. And sometimes those things are the most rewarding of all. Like going back into my journalism, it's a lot more challenging because I can't just buy my favorite editing software or upgrade my microphone like I may have been able to do before. But that challenge of doing it is kind of the entertainment of it. And it, you know, things that start small can take you in directions that can ultimately lead to your next move in life. Or, you know, as we struggle, we have to connect with each other and, you know, share the resources that we have, even though they're much less. 
you know, whether that's like, it, the hard thing is, it's like somebody will call and be like, oh, there's somebody coming to buy trim and it's a pound. Like it's this hookup or something. And you're like, I don't want to get out of the shed and don't even think about asking me if there's sticks or fan leaves in it. Like the prices are so low that it's just, it's for me, it's really defeating. Right. Um, you, you feel like your time, like you said, it isn't even worth it to go out there and get it for that amount of money. I totally I relate really, to that. Really, I, I look at it now when I trim, it's like I'm getting paid the price I used to get paid just to trim a pound. But I also grew it, sourced the clones, right. fed the plants, took care of them, harvested them, cut them, dried them, and then now trimming it. So, but I'm getting paid like the old trimmers prices for all of that, you know? When one door closes, another one opens. So I think that tapping into the community, one other thing that I've been doing, having a lot of fun with is the Round Valley Skate Park Project. We're trying to bring a skate park to Covalo and there's energy behind it. And I think a lot of the people that are involved also just want to see our community have positive things, especially for like mental health, which sometimes if you're just like living in your own world and you think everything's great and you're on top of it because you're allowed to leave and maybe you're kind of financially okay because you have this farm. But now that it's changed, it is easier to look around and be like, I'm not okay. And most of my community isn't either. And what can we do to make this a better place? That's awesome. And if our listeners want to find out more about that project, um, how can they? The Round Valley um, Skate Park Project. I think it's roundvalleyskateparkproject.org or rvskateparkproject.org. Um, we also do a radio show every couple of weeks on KYDU 96.9 FM. And then there's regular events that happen in Covalo at the rec center where we're just like promoting skate culture awareness and providing something fun for kids to get out of their house and do something safe. So I would say really in the last year or two, as everything has shifted and I'm looking at Covalo, I'm like, I really want to, I, and I, the first five years I worked so hard on having babies and trying to get the farm permitted that I really didn't tap into the community that much. I mean, sometimes I was around maybe the farmer's market with the baby on my hip. But now that I'm really looking at my life and it's not all about next year and the next best harvest because I've worked harder and harder and harder and it doesn't just get better and better and better. It's kind of allowed me to look at where I'm at and what I truly enjoy about the place I live. And it's definitely a lot more than just, you know, growing cannabis. Yeah, absolutely. That's really beautiful. And, you know, I really admire you and the other people in our community that are hanging on and that are going out there and connecting with each other and trying to do projects like a skate park project. I mean, if any group of people deserves to succeed in the cannabis industry right now, I think it's definitely us. So that leads me to my final question for you, which is knowing we can only go forward and we can't ever go backwards in time. What is your ideal and most hopeful vision for Mendocino and the rest of the Emerald Triangle moving forward? I think Mendocino County, if you have a state permit, annual or provisional, they should just issue your county permit and just be done with it. Just 
Jen Procacci and Wildland Farms embossed receipt holder for however many years. Many years. Held <laughs> the state permit. You have all the things. Just stamp it and move on. And then make our grant program easy. Maybe there can be different tiers. If you need emergency funds, 5000 that should be able to be issued within a week. That our farmers are struggling. And there's not going to be a misappropriation of funds. It's going to be like paying whatever bill is like the most important, whether that's like tires on your car, the water part to fix the system. It's that all needs to be made available now. I don't know what the county is so scared of. It's like they're wishing some nightmare upon themselves that doesn't really exist. They're worried about getting sued by the state. We're going to sue them. <laughs> I think that definitely summarizes the thoughts of, of many out there. And Eileen, if our listeners want to get in touch with you, if they want to find out more about Livingston Organics, or they want to make sure to catch your next piece on KMUD or KZYX or KYBU, how can they contact you? Um, they could email me at Eileen F as in Francis Russell at gmail.com. They can follow our Instagram at Livingston underscore organics and just listen regularly to um, KZYX or KMUD News. I'm regularly doing um, contributing reports. And um, yeah, I'm always available. So reach out and with news story ideas, if you have any local news stories, I love to get tips from community members. Awesome, Eileen. Thank you so much for joining me today, almost four years to the date that I first had you on the Cannabis Hour, which is pretty awesome. So thank you for your time and thanks for being a woman in cannabis. Thank you so much for having me and for us getting to do this on the first day of Women's History Month. I do think it is important to honor women cannabis farmers. We've been a huge part of the industry that not everybody's known about for a long time, but women do it really well. So thank you. We do. And you're welcome, Eileen. Thank Hi. you so much for tuning in and listening. This has been another episode of the Cannabis Hour. I'll be back two weeks from today with another show for you all. Up next, we have Portraits in Jazz. So stay tuned and have a beautiful day. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.